Uh, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 103, and I'll read and then I'll pray. Psalm 103, says, of David. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame, he remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, he flourishes like a flower of the field. For the wind passes over it, and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all places of dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you've given us your word and that you've given us this psalm, that you've given us this reminder to bless you and not to forget, and this display of your goodness so that we can remind ourselves and we can fight and argue with our soul to always love you and worship you and bless you and never to forget all the good that you've done. We pray this morning that you would show us your ways and show us your glory. Show us how you are full of steadfast love and faithfulness so that we will worship you anew, so that we will see your glory in a fresh way. Lord, we come to you confessing that we are weak, we are uh, dust, we are children, we are grass, and we, we the flesh is the spirit is willing, Lord, but the, the flesh is weak. And so we ask for your strength and our weakness and that you would show us your glory tonight. We don't deserve it, but we ask for this because of Christ's shed blood and that you would glorify him this evening. We pray in your name. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you guys um, this evening. It's been a few months. Um, got married a couple months ago and had to take a Take a few months off, but it's good to be back and be with you guys again. Um, our sermon this evening from Psalm 103 
uh, I've titled The Danger of Forgetting. And I know that might seem kind of a counterintuitive title for this psalm, but that's what I'm going to go with, The Danger of Forgetting. And I want to start by just talking about how there are some things in this world that are dangerous to forget. Obviously, you don't want to forget to turn off a gas stove before leaving the house. Don't want to forget to lock your door, depending on your neighborhood that you live in. Uh, Definitely, this time of year, don't want to forget to file your taxes. Um, But having just gotten married, it's funny also that in relationships, there are some things that are really dangerous to forget. Um, Some of these would be anniversaries, and I'm very intentionally using the plural there. Um, You need to remember dating, first date anniversaries, at least in our relationship, engagement anniversary, wedding anniversaries on the month, on the year, so on, anniversaries. Uh, You definitely, dangerous to forget, birthdays. Lady, am I right? Uh, Don't forget her birthday, her favorite flower, her favorite color. Uh, These things are very dangerous to forget. And in marriage, there's even more. I have to tell myself, don't forget uh, to put the coffee cup in the sink and leave coffee cups scattered all over the house and have seven of them at one time all over. But one thing funny about uh, my wife, and she asked me to tell this story, so it's okay, you can laugh, um, is she has such an, a, an aversion to forgetting things that she sets alarms for everything. So if you're ever with her and her phone starts going off and it's alarm, it's she set an alarm not to forget. And when we were dating all the time, like throughout a date, this alarm would go off. And I didn't know what, what what it was, and it's too early in the dating for me to ask, like you know. And so I'm thinking, okay, it's probably like this is my get out of the date excuse, you know. If it's bad, I can say, oh, actually, hey, there's a thing I forgot about. But I found out, no, this is what she does to not forget things, and she sets alarms not to forget things. Um, but she sets alarms. Many alarms. Uh, there's probably 20 different alarms on the phone. And the other day, uh, there's an alarm going off, and I'm like, hey, are you going to get the alarm? And she's like, no, I can't turn it off, otherwise I'll forget. So I'm like, I walk over there, and I look at it, and not only is that alarm going off, there's two or three more that are snoozed. <laughs> and I said, you just snoozed them? She's like, yeah, I can't forget them. I say... And then I look at the alarm, and it says, remember to set an alarm for dot, dot, dot. And I said, so are we now setting alarms to remind us to set alarms? Yeah. Uh, So these alarms help or not to forget. So obviously, we don't want to forget things, and we need to do whatever we can not to forget. And tonight's sermon is about the danger of forgetting from Psalm 103. And... I realize this is probably a very familiar psalm to a lot of you. It's been turned into about more, it's been turned into more songs than um, we have alarms going off in our home. Um, we've read it a million times. So I'm hoping that we can look at this psalm through a bit of a unique angle to see it fresh, uh, to see it from a fresh light. And that's specifically looking at it from the command in verse two, forget not all his benefits. But in the main, Psalm 103, it's a call to reflect on the goodness of God in a way that will lead to true worship and obedience. So what's the the big point of Psalm 103? It's a call to reflect on the goodness of God in a way that will lead to true worship and obedience. But more than a call to an act like we've just done, It's a call to a specific heart or a specific whole, a soul, a specific inward disposition that 
out of a worship of God, we are brought to praise him. But again, we want to look at it specifically from that angle of not forgetting, not forgetting all of his benefits. So tonight we're going to talk about the danger of forgetting, and we're going to see specifically seven reminders that will help us to have a more joy-filled walk, seven truths that will keep our hearts aligned with Christ and worshiping him and not turning aside to idols or ourselves or disobedience or pride or any other thing. So that's the sermon tonight, the danger of forgetting and seven reminders to keep our hearts fixed on Christ and have a joyful walk. So first, I want to give you guys a bit of an overview of this psalm and how it all fits together. And we're tonight, we're going to break this psalm into three main parts. Uh, The first part would be verses one through five. And I'm going to call that the call and a warning. In verses 1 through 5 is the call and a warning. The body of the psalm is verses 6 through 19. And that I've, for myself tonight, called the goodness of God on display. The third main part is verses 20 through 22, and that would be the call repeated and amplified. Now, What we especially want to see is you guys notice that the psalm begins and ends in the same way. It begins and ends with a bless the Lord, O my soul. And this is a bookending of the psalm. And the the goal of this, it's like an album or a CD, if you're old, um, where the first track and the final track have similar melodies, similar rhythms. And when you get to that final track, it basically reminds you of where it started. And you kind of almost in a moment relive the whole CD as it brings you back to where it started. That's the goal here. The goal is that when we get to the final, bless the Lord, oh my soul, uh, we will now hear that command again in a deeper way in light of everything that came in between. And so that's how we want to look at it and understand everything else is these three parts and especially how the, uh, how the psalm begins and ends the same way designed to give us a new understanding. So first, this call and this warning in verses one through five. And this gives us to the, this brings us to our first reminder, our first truth. And that's don't forget the importance of praise. Don't forget first, the importance of praise, the importance of worship, the importance of gratitude. And listen to what the psalm says. He says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And so here the psalmist is arguing with his soul and he's exhorting his soul to an expression of joyful gratitude as an enrichment of God. When we talk about blessing somebody, there's typically some measure of benefit going on. Um, if you blessed me, you and some of you benefited me with your words. Now, we can't benefit God, obviously. We can't add anything to him. So this call to bless him is a call to express this gratitude in him so that others will see it and will also worship him. And we're called to bless him. And specifically, we're called to bless him, not with just our lips, but from our soul. And this is repeated in the next line as, with all that is within us. So this is an all-encompassing call to worship God in a way and to see him in a way that leads to praise. And why is this so important? Why is the first reminder not to forget the importance of praise? 
As you guys know, this command is all over the New Testament. Uh, Ephesians 5.20, Colossians 17, Colossians 1.12, 1 Thessalonians 5.16-18. All through the New Testament, praise is one of the primary indicators of being filled with the Spirit, of being a true worshiper of God, and of being right with God. And why is that? Why is praise so important? First, praise is important simply because of who God is and what he's done. Just who God is means that if we don't praise him, we are blaspheming him, and we are not giving him what he deserves. So just because of who God is, praise is incredibly important. The fact that he exists, praise and worship should exist. But secondly, and very relevant for our sermon tonight, praise is important because praise reveals what we worship and what we serve. And a lack of worship is one of the best indicators of a heart that is either turned to idolatry or is headed to idolatry or is in some way in rebellion against God. Praise and the presence or lack of praise in our heart is the best canary in the coal mine of our fallen flesh of just the status that we're in. It reveals what we worship. And as I said, it will the lack of praise, if we don't heed this commandment, we will fall into idolatry. Hence this warning not to forget. So look at that at the end of verse two. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And I want to argue that this command, it's not a throwaway command. I think we often tend to kind of just read over it. But I want to argue that in the structure of the the poetry and in the history of Israel, this is actually a very important command. Notice in these first two verses that there's two sets of two and there's parallelism. You have blessed the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Then that's repeated, bless the Lord, O my soul. But the fourth line, this pattern's broken. And now it says, and forget not all his benefits. So the the poetry builds climactically, and then with the last line, it, it breaks our expectation, and now it doesn't repeat a different form of the command to bless, but it says don't forget. And why is that the case? One of the most prominent warnings in the book of Deuteronomy is against Israel not to forget. And Israel's history is a long catalog of how to forget and how to just really blow it and forget. Listen to some of these commands. Deuteronomy 4.9. Only take care and guard your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. But notice he goes on that forgetting is more than just a mental lapse, because then he says, and lest they depart from your heart. So there's a connection between what we forget and what our heart actually loves. And then Deuteronomy 4.23, take care lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and you make a carven image, a carved image. And then Deuteronomy 6.12 and 14, take care lest you forget the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt you shall not turn aside to other gods. So we, we see not only does whether we remember or forget reveal what's in our heart and what we actually love, but also forgetting will always either indicate or lead to idolatry and the leaving of God for false gods. 
It's the same as, Deuter- as disobeying. Deuteronomy 8.11 says, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt by not keeping his commandments. And lastly, it's caused by pride much of the time. Deuteronomy 8, 14 through 19. He says, lest, take care lest when you become prosperous, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, the God who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there's no water. And he brought you water out of the flinty rock and he fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers didn't know that he might humble you to test you to do you good in the end. Verse 17, so beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. So you shall remember the Lord your God for it is he that gives you the power to give to get wealth that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers. And verse 19, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish. And so this summarizes what does Moses mean when he says in Deuteronomy 4, 9, only take care and guard your soul diligently, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen. And going back to Psalm 103, forget not all his benefits. So remember the importance of praise and remember that our gratitude and our blessing God and our praising of his name from uh, our heart with all that's in us is the purest and best indicator of our true spiritual condition. And that when we grumble and when we choose to disobey, when we, when we complain, when we don't praise, it will either lead to idolatry or it will prove that we're already in idolatry and it will show that we don't value him. It will show you we don't care about his gifts and his blessings, that they don't matter to us. It shows that we don't trust his will or his timing. It shows that we don't believe, and probably the worst of all, it shows we don't believe that he's good. And it shows that we don't believe he's always working for our good. And even worse, it shows that even if we do believe that, we still want what we want more than him. So that's the importance of praise and why it's so important every day to argue and to exhort our own soul not to forget, not to forget all that God's done to us, but to praise him from the inside of our being. And this is not just an Old Testament truth. Romans 1, 21 through 23 says, although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and in doing so, they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for the images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creepy, creeping things. So don't forget, first of all, the importance of praise, the importance and what praise means, what it indicates, what it reveals and how it glorifies God and how doing it will bring others to see his glory and praise him as well. So that's the first reminder. Don't forget just how important this is to praise God and to have a heart of worship. But we move on now to the body of this psalm, which is verses 6 through 19, the goodness of God and display. And our, our second reminder is from verses 6 through 8. And it's, don't forget that God is both just and merciful. 
One of the most amazing truths in theology is that God is both just and merciful. He's both holy, 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 and he's also gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness all at the same time. And God doesn't reduce his holiness in order to exercise his grace. Somehow God is able to be fully holy, fully just, fully righteous, and fully merciful, gracious, compassionate, gentle, and lowly, all at the same time. But this psalm obviously is not a systematic theology. And the specific words David chooses in verses 6 through 9, they should make you think again of Israel's deliverance from Egypt. He says, the Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. And that might make you think of Israel's slavery in Egypt and how God delivered them from that affliction and oppression. But even more, listen, verse 7 and 8. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. These words very specifically point us unmistakably to two different events in the Exodus. As you guys remember, when Israel left Egypt, God had given them every spiritual blessing they could hope for. And he brings them to Sinai and he reveals the law to them. He brings them to the mountain. He does it with all the... um, miracles they could hope for. It says that fire was going up from the mountain to the middle of heaven. They heard his voice and they were so overwhelmed with it all that they said, tell him not to even talk anymore or else we'll die. Just you talk to him for us. We can't handle this. This was after he brought them out of Egypt with the plagues, after he split the Red Sea, after all of that. And one day later, Israel forgets. You might remember this. Exodus 32.1 tells us that Moses went up on the mountain and after just a day or so, Israel says, when the people, or Exodus says, when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, get up and make us gods who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us from Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. And you see how they're forgetting in spite of how much they'd been given, immediately led to idolatry and they turned away from God. And it's shocking just how forgetful they could be and just how forgetful we can be. But then Moses pleads for uh, Israel and God wants to destroy them. And Moses says, don't destroy them. If you do, the nations will see that. They'll say, see, God couldn't do it. And he says, instead, spare them. And then Moses says this, show me your ways and show me your glory in Exodus 33, 13 and 33, 18. And remember in Psalm 103, it's or 103, 7, it says, God made known his ways to Moses. And here in Exodus 33, he says, show me your ways and show me your glory. And God answers that prayer. He does just that. And how does he do that? It says that God responds. And in Exodus 34, 6, God passed by Moses and declared his name. And this is how God showed Moses his glory. This is how God showed Moses his ways. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
And then God forgave and spared Israel. And it's amazing to me that the apex of God's glory here in Exodus and in Psalm 103 is God's display of his mercy. He's holy, he's holy, he's holy, and you have to take off your feet to come near and anything that touched the mountain other than Moses would die. But he's also merciful and gracious, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, full of grace and truth. And he is both just and merciful all at the same time. And our Psalm shows us that. Verse six says he's just and verse eight says he's merciful. And verse seven brings it together to make us point to Moses and how God showed us this in Moses' story. The next example that's pretty much the exact same is just a few months later, Israel goes from Sinai now. They enter close to the promised land. God has provided for them for months. He's given them manna miraculously. He just destroyed a huge nation in Egypt. He destroyed them with 10 plagues. He split the Red Sea. Uh, Then he brings water from a rock. And after the end of it all, after the end of all that, Israel says, no, we can't. We can't take over Canaan. They're definitely going to kill us. God's brought us here to kill us. And they forget everything God did for them. But obviously they didn't actually cognitively forget. It's that they turned away from him. They didn't worship him anymore. They didn't trust him and they turned away from him. How could they have forgotten this? How could they have turned away after all they saw God do? So they're forgetting here. It's not just mental lapse. It's it's a blasphemous turning from God and turning away from him. And God again says, I am going to destroy this people. I've had it up to here with them. And so Moses intercedes again. And Moses says, no, please spare the people. Numbers 14, 17, Moses says, please let the power of the Lord be great as you promised, saying, the Lord is slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Please pardon the iniquity of this people according to the greatness of your steadfast love. So it's as if Moses is saying here, no, God, wait, you can't destroy them. Remember, you told us you're full of grace and truth, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. Please spare them just again, one more time in accordance with your grace, in accordance with who you are. And again, God spared Israel. And this again, friends, is the most amazing way that God showed his ways to Moses and showed his glory to Moses. Israel forgot and forgot and forgot. And God pardoned and forgave over and over and over. And he did it because of his steadfast love, because of his grace, because of who he is. And remember, this isn't incidental. This is central to who God is. This is his name. Moses said, show me your ways and show me your glory. And God said, I will tell you my name. You can't see me and live. Nobody can see me and live, but I'll say my name. And it is merciful and gracious, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. So friends, the second reminder is don't forget that God is both just and merciful. He's both holy and he's full of steadfast love. And he's shown us that love, that mercy, that forgiveness over and over and over. If you guys are like me, you probably forget just a little bit less, if not a little bit more than Israel did. 
And it's amazing how much you can think, I finally got it this time. I'm never going to grumble again, the Lord provided. And then it really only takes a week or so more, and somehow you found a way to grumble again or be anxious again, and yet he forgives. So remember this, when, when your heart is dry or dull and you have to exhort your heart and say, oh, my soul, bless the Lord. Remember the importance of praise and remember how merciful he is, even while he's holy and just. The third truth, the third reminder is from verses 9 through 12. And this is, don't forget that God forgives our sins completely. Verses 9 through 12 say, He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. Not only is God merciful, but he forgives fully and completely. There is no limit to his love. It says that as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love, his chesed, his grace towards us. In the ancient time, they would have thought that the farthest distance that there was was from earth to heaven, and there's no greater distance from uh, bottom to top. And that's even more amazing today as we know that space is essentially infinite. And not only is this just the greatest distance in the created world, but it is actually an infinite distance. There, There is no limit to the height of heaven as it extends for galaxies and galaxies and galaxies. And, and God says through Davis that David that this is how great his love is for us. There's no limit to his love. There's no limit to this love, which is what moved him to make an atonement for us, to forgive us. But second, his forgiveness is full and irrevocable. It says that as far as the east is from the west, so great has he removed our transgressions from us. It's not simply that when we forget and we sin and God forgives that that he's forgiven a little bit, but that when we come to him in repentance and we seek that forgiveness, no matter how many times we have sinned, he removes it from us as far as the east is from the west, which again is as far, there is no limit to the east uh, from the west. They go as on and on for the whole universe. So third, don't forget that God forgives our sins completely and fully. There's no limit to his love. His forgiveness is full and irrevocable. And he doesn't deal with us because of that as we deserve. We deserve to be destroyed. We deserve to be long ago to be just put away and be done with. And yet for some reason, he continues to bear with us. He continues to grow us and and he sticks with us. So this is the third truth. Don't forget that God forgives our sins completely. Fourth, Don't forget, from verses 13 through 16, don't forget that God is patient with our weaknesses. Verses 13 through 16, they compare us to all these weak things. It says, he knows our frame, or backing up a verse, as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. 
He knows our frame. He remembers that we're dust. And then it describes us as humans, like grass, like a flower of the field. And so God, he, he understands and he's patient with our weakness. Like Christ said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And God remembers that and he's patient with that. He, he walks with us through that. So this is our fourth reminder. So if you are striving and you're failing, if you're weary, remember his patience. Remember just how patient he is seeing us as his child, seeing us as his creation and understanding our weaknesses, saying, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. But also remember that he's not weak. He's not frail. He's not limited in any way. We are children, but he is the father. We are dust, but he is spirit and knows no physical limitation. And he endures forever. So don't forget that God is patient with our weakness. But this brings us to an important reminder. Number five, reminder number five, verses 17 through 19. Don't forget that this is only for those who love him. Verses 17 through 19. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness is to children's children, to those who keep his commandment, covenant, and remember to do his commandments. So this blessing is just for those who love him. And the first way this is described is this blessing is for those who fear him. This means we can't claim these blessings if we show by our just truly continual forgetting that we don't love and fear God. So what is fearing God? What does it mean to fear him? It means trusting and loving God completely. My favorite example of what it means to fear God is from the first person in the Bible who is said to fear God, and that's Abraham. You guys remember the story of Abraham, how he waited a hundred years for this child, enduring the social shame of childlessness, enduring the natural shame and pain of childlessness and barrenness, enduring the, the trial of faith of uh, of God saying, I'm going to bless you and waiting for so long. And Abraham is friends with kings and they had tons of wives and tons of kids. And I imagine that at least at a few points in Abraham's life, some king, uh, Abimelech or whoever else probably said, listen, Abraham, I know you say Yahweh told you this, but you've been waiting 15 years. Look how many kids my God has given me. Why don't you just make a sacrifice over here and see how it works out for you? And never once in a hundred years did Abraham turn aside and go to another God to give him a child. He faithfully waited and trusted God to provide this child and he trusted God's timing. And then at the end of all of it, God says, okay, Abraham, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love and kill him for me. And you think of all the things going through Abraham's mind right then. Is it's, he's thinking, not only did I wait so long for this child, but God, I was faithful. I didn't turn aside. I didn't, I didn't go to false gods. You finally gave him. But on top of all that, like this doesn't make any sense because you told me that this is the child the promise would come through and it couldn't come from Ishmael. He already left and now I'm killing him. So how are you going to even be able to fulfill your word? And yet Moses did it. 
And as he does it, he doesn't question. God says, now I know you fear me because you didn't withhold your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love from me. So fearing God, it's, it's such a trust and a love for God that we do whatever he would ask and we withhold nothing from him that he requires. So Abraham is an amazing example of what it means to fear God. But contrast that with Israel, who in contrast, God says at the end of Deuteronomy, you don't love me, you don't fear me. The fear of God is nothing but a commandment taught to you by men. You have none of it in your heart. It's just a doctrine that you read in your systematic theology shown by their continual rebellion and their continual turning away from God. So five, don't forget that this promise is only for those who love him. And that means fearing him. It means keeping his covenant, being devoted to him alone. And it means doing his commandments, obeying him. But do any of us do that? Not if you're like me. So number six, don't forget that Christ alone makes this possible. God is both just and merciful. And not only is this one of the most amazing truths in the Bible, it's also one of the hardest to reconcile. How is it that God can be just and merciful? None of us would want to go to a judge and the judge would say, yes, I clearly see that he's guilty, but I'm feeling very merciful and gracious, very slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness today. So although he's guilty and he did steal your car, I'm actually going to forgive it and I'm giving it to him. Uh, Nobody would want that judge. Um, That would be merciful. It wouldn't be just. But we also don't want a judge that's just and not merciful because otherwise we are without hope. So this is not just one of the most amazing truths. It's also one of the hardest to reconcile. And in the very same breath that God said in Exodus that he's abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, he also says at the same time, he forgives iniquity and transgression and sin, but that in the very next line, he will by no means clear the guilty. So how can this be? And it's only because of what we read in, in John 1, 14, where it says the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth or full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And Moses asked God, show me your glory. And God said, no one can see my face and live, but I'll say my name before you. And it's full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And then God, this God, the word became flesh. And now in him, we see his glory full of grace and truth. And no one has ever seen God, but the only God who's at the father's side, he has made him known. So because Christ came and he died, because of that, we have full forgiveness. And it's in Christ that we see the fullness of the ways of God that he showed originally to Moses. It's in Christ that we see fully the glory of God and how he is full of grace and truth, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. 
It is in Christ and in God pouring out his wrath in Christ that we can be forgiven, that he can absorb God's wrath for us and his, his wrath can be fully paid and the, the debt can actually be paid and yet he can be merciful for us because of Christ. And so as Romans 3.23 says, all of this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he passed over former sins that he might be both just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus so that he can be just and the justifier so that he can be just and merciful so that he can be both holy, holy, holy and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So the final reminder and the exhortation is don't forget that this is only possible in Christ alone. And the question is, are you in Christ? And do you actually love God? And have you actually turned to him? Have you actually trusted in Christ, realizing how much you fail to do that, how much you fail to, to love him, to fear him, to keep his commandments. And I've turned in desperation, calling on Christ for forgiveness, saying, please forgive me and cleanse me and give me a new heart to love you, to fear you, to be devoted to you alone and to do your commandments from a true heart. This is only for those in Christ. So are you in Christ? Well, that brings us to our conclusion. And that's the call repeated in, Verses 20 through 22, the call repeated and expanded. And it's the final reminder. The seventh reminder is again, don't forget the danger of forgetting. He repeats the the Psalm and, and by doing so, it should call the whole thing back into our mind and help us to now see it in a fresh light. He says, the Lord has established his throne in the heavens and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works and all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And so this is what we must remember the importance of praise, how what we praise and what we worship and what we take joy on and what we makes happy, what makes us happy, it reveals what we worship. And a lack of that praise that either indicates idolatry or will lead to idolatry, it will lead to departing from God, disobeying him. And we must always remember this, what this Psalm talks about, the glory and goodness on display in Christ and how all the attributes of God find their fullest expression in Christ and that he is the word become flesh. He is the glory of the only son uh, from the father, full of grace and truth, full of steadfast love and faithfulness. And it's in him that God can be both just and the justifier. And it's in his death for sins that we most see both God's hatred for sin and that he had to not only like Abraham potentially offer his beloved son, he had to actually slaughter his beloved son that he loved far more than Abraham ever could have loved Isaac. It's in the death of Christ that we fully see God's justice, his holiness, his hatred for sin, but also his love and mercy for sinners. And this has to be what fills our hearts. And every day we need to get up and remind ourselves of these truths and stir ourselves up to worship and to remember that what moves us to blessing reveals what we worship. So set your alarms if you have to and remember the danger of forgetting. Lord, we just thank you so much. We 
don't even really understand a glimpse of the profundity of your, your holiness and your, your wrath for sin, but also the height of your love that truly is infinite if it gave up an infinitely beloved son. I pray that because of that, we would always love you more than everything, always have full joy in you no matter what and trust you completely. Um, stir up our hearts with this, I pray, tonight and this week. In your name we pray, amen.